uh, welcome. We're going to stay in a place of worship and open the scriptures this morning. So you can turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to, uh, first of all, shout out, I think they might be watching online, shout out to Zeke and Beth Swift, who celebrated 48 years of marriage uh, this week, huh? All right. We thank you for your example and uh, your role uh, in our lives here, and we bless you uh, with many more. Uh, I've got three announcements before I start the message, and that um, first is we are trying to increase community, and one of the ways that we do that is through our church app. Uh, And so we have a database, and you are in that database. If you get this church app uh, and download it, and there's instructions on the front desk if uh, it's not clear where to get it, if you download it, you will see yourself in there. We want you to upload a picture, and then we want you to give permission for that picture to be seen. And if you uh, participate, then when we're here, we're able to, when we meet somebody, we're able to look up their, uh, their phone number or their email. We're able to remind ourselves, oh yeah, that's, that's, that's Heather, uh, that's Marianne, you know, whatever. So uh, please participate in that and encourage community within the congregation. Secondly, the women's retreat is happening on February 4th and 5th. And during that retreat, Liz Baker, who's one of our regulars, will be leading the, uh, the speaking and teaching of that time. And it's, the topic is, Jesus is better. And so, women, you will be encouraged, refreshed. And uh, guys, uh, fathers, husbands, encourage you to write it, get out there at the front desk, write a check, uh, and take care of child care for the weekend so you're your wife or your woman can be encouraged and refreshed. Amen? Uh, Ladies, you can register at the Connect Desk after the service. And then finally, we are doing an annual survey of discipleship. How are we doing in our discipleship? This survey is online on our website. You go to the front page of our website, bottom right of the page, you'll see an orange block, an orange button. It says take survey. Go ahead and take it. Uh, We use this survey to evaluate how we're doing. And in that survey, you'll be able to share uh, your spiritual practices, uh, what God is doing to help you grow, and which ways that can the church help you grow in a more significant way. So uh, that survey is super important. Uh, Take 15 minutes, and let's do that by January 24th. So we have uh, this Sunday, and, and let's do it this week, right? Uh, get it over, get it over with, get it done. But we'll leave that open on the website till January 24th. So if there's others here, small group leaders, let your people know. If you're online uh, watching today, make sure you check into that survey and um, take it uh, because that's one of the ways that we are able to measure how we're doing and what our congregation needs uh, to grow and to be more like Christ. So uh, let's pray as we uh, begin this message. Father, uh, I just thank you for uh, this news on Steve Sessler this morning. I thank you for the privilege of worship and communion. I thank you, Father, for your presence with us right now. Jesus, you are with us as you have promised. You are faithful. And Holy Spirit, come and use uh, the words of my lips and the meditations of my heart. And I pray they be pleasing in your sight, Lord. And would you speak to each and every person here and each and every person listening online uh, to what you want to say to them. And I pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so we are in a series called Gifted. And we are examining all the different ways that God gifts his people to equip them uh, to carry out his mission here on the earth. So... We've been in this since October, actually September, and uh, we've looked at the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and now we're looking at the gifts that Jesus himself has given to the church. And uh, it's in this uh, series, today we come to the evangelistic ministry, the gift of evangelistic ministry, the gift of 
those that share the good news, that share the gospel. So to use uh, the famous question when you hear from your doctor, I've got good news and I've got bad news, what do you want first? Most people say, I want the bad news first because they're hoping that the good news will be better than the bad news. Well, it's just the same way when it comes to what Jesus has done, what God has done for us in Christ, and that is that in order to understand the good news, we really have to understand first the bad news. And here's the bad news. The bad news is that each and every one of us has established our own standard for what is right and wrong. Each and every one of us has uh, moved in ways that seem good to us, but are not the ways of God. And each and every one of us has, in some way, shape, or form, out of selfishness, uh, either lied or stolen or uh, been unkind. And these are, these are sins. These are the collection of things that build up, that keep us in opposition to God, that keep us away from God, separated from God. And we, we are in that situation, and that is uh, the bad news. The bad news is that we are separated from God and that we're born into this kingdom of evil that is run by the satanic enemy, and we need the good news to emigrate out of this state of being, out of this kingdom, into the kingdom of light. And that emigration is accomplished for us by Jesus. It isn't our job to try harder, to be nice people. It's our job to understand what God has done for us and, and to receive what Jesus has done for us. And he came, and we've just celebrated Christmas. He came out of the glory of heaven to be born in a barn. And to live a life of blood, sweat, and tears, just like us. To be tempted in all ways that we get tempted. And uh, to never sin. And for his trouble to be crucified and killed. And then on the third day to rise from the dead. And then on the 40th day after that to ascend into heaven. And to promise that he's coming back. And all of that work he did does a beautiful thing for us. It relieves us from the burden of sin. It pays the penalty of our sin, and so we don't have to pay it. It opens up to us access to the Father. The Father, because of Jesus, adopts us into his family. That's why we're talking about gospel and family this morning. We're adopted into his family. This is good. Isn't it good? But I'm not done yet, because then in addition to that, he brings us through a process of transformation from the inside out. And he makes us the kind of people we were created to be. And he does that through his Holy Spirit living in us. And not only that, he puts us into a family here on earth that can love us, support us, bring us meals when we're sick, pray for us when we're sick, and serve us. And he puts that whole family together. And then he says, on top of all of that, you're going to have eternity. You're going to have eternity on a new heaven and a new earth with new bodies. And you're going to live in a productive, thrilling, everyday, something new, awesome revelation of who God is forever and ever and ever with no tears and no pain and no sin. And that is the gospel of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. The kingdom started when he came. It's going to be fulfilled when he returns. And we're in the middle of it now. And we're experiencing this incredible blessing. That is the good news. And that good news is what forms the, the core of the evangelistic ministry. Is to bring that good news uh, to as many people as possible. So this morning, turn into Ephesians chapter 4, and let's start in verse 11. And so as we grasp the bad news, we can rejoice, really rejoice in the good news. If we don't get the bad news, then 
we're not going to really appreciate the good news. But here's what Jesus, here's what the Word of God says. Here's what Paul says about Jesus. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And part of the good news is that Jesus has identified and provided for the church these five gifted these five gifted ministries. People receive these gifts and then implement these ministries uh, in our midst. And as part of the good news, he organized it so that this, these five gifts would work together to have the, the kingdom movement flourish from century to century to century. And 20 centuries in, uh, we are seeing how repetitious provision of apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers has kept the kingdom fresh and has kept the kingdom growing. Now if you look at verse 7, further back from what I just read, you said that we, it says that we have all been given grace uh, in these areas. So the good news is that each and every one of us has been given gifts from God usually multiple gifts, but certainly at least one per person. Now, what we've been doing in this section is with these five gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers, we have been looking how they work together, but we've been saying that each one of us has a bent to function in one of those five ways, a primary bent. So we've been encouraging everybody to take this survey this assessment online. It's free. Uh, it's just at uh, www.designdiscovery.com. And it is there for each of us to figure out which is the primary gift that God has wired me to walk in. And we describe these five gifts. Uh, they work together. And there's a chart here that I'll just show you a little graphic. But uh, the apostles are the people that plant things, that start things. They're, they're innovators, they're leaders, they're, um, they're problem solvers. They're trying to take new ground. They're trying to expand things. And then the apostle is followed up by the prophet whose role is to protect the clarity of the vision, whose role is to speak clearly and reveal the things of God and remind people of the things of God so they stay on track, they stay on focus. And so the prophets are people who hear God speak and who help other people hear God speak. And then the evangelists come in and their role is to spread the movement. Their role is to invite. They are typically excited, joyful, exuberant people who have received from God this incredible gift and they want everyone to know about it. And then the shepherds are those that uh, come alongside people and in, help them mature, help them process their emotions, help them mature and grow. And then the teachers come in behind them and the teachers take the scriptures and get people more deeply rooted in the truth of God. And they, they help us understand uh, what this says uh, about us and about the Lord and they help us get really rooted. And then once the, the church is functioning in that way, then we call them out again and we seek apostles who will come out and take new ground and start new ministries. And the church continually expands. Over the years, our church ministry has expanded from Marymount to places all over the world because apostolic people have gone and started new works, whether it's in prisons or in uh, small villages in Nigeria uh, or downtown serving the poor, but these are all ministries that have expanded. So the kingdom is continually growing and expanding. And this is why we see the gospel, the, the message of Jesus in his kingdom. This gospel has 
been moving all over the earth. And we may not notice it here in Marymount, but there's a massive worldwide revival going on right now in Asia and Africa. Uh, Muslims are coming to Christ by the millions. Even Buddhists are starting to come to Christ in very large numbers for the first time in human history. Buddhist monks in northern Thailand and Myanmar. There are movements in the tens of thousands of Buddhist monks coming to Christ. So this gospel is expanding and the fastest growing church in the world now is in Afghanistan and Iran. And as they suffer under persecution, there the church is exploding uh, with life. And it is all because of apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers who have gone to work in those places. So today, I just want to zero in on the evangelist, the evangelistic ministry, okay? And I'm going to do that in three parts. First of all, to look at the basics of this ministry. What is this ministry all about? Secondly, I want to give you some biblical and some examples from our congregation. And then thirdly, I want to do application and ministry time where we're going to get those who are gifted uh, evangelistic in evangelistic ministry to pray for those of us who want to get better at it. All right? And it's like anything else. You know, you have people who are super awesome at it, who are literally evangelists. You have people who have a desire for their friends to know Christ. And then you have every believer who's been given the responsibility by Jesus to share our faith and to help others know Christ and follow him. So uh, let's just dive in. The word evangelist here has three broad meanings. It, it's, it's a bringer of good tidings. It's a herald of salvation. And these are people who are announcers of the kingdom. And, and by the way, when we share the gospel, we're sharing the good news of something that has occurred in history. It's done. It's a historical reality. So we're sharing what has been done. And we're sharing uh, that uh, with that confidence. Now this word uh, in the Greek... One helistes is borrowed, actually. And it's borrowed by Jesus from the emperors of Rome. The emperors of Rome uh, used this word to send messengers around the place, around the kingdom, to say how awesome the emperor was. He would often get titles like high priest. He would often get titles like son of God. And he would often proclaim the good news that he is able to provide peace. So there was this process going on in the Roman Empire of the emperors declaring their gospel. And you can still see the gospel of Augustus chiseled into stones in places like Ephesus and Thessalonica. So this was the, the announcement. So Jesus said, well... I am the true, temp the true emperor, I am the faithful emperor, and my news is really good news. So he co-opted the term when he began to preach the good news so that it would have that context of this new, there's a new emperor in town. Now, the evangelists operate on some core truths. And I, I want us to really, I'm going to park here for a bit because I want us to really understand these core truths. First of all, the core truth that everyone has sinned and fallen short. The only one who never sinned is Jesus. So all of us have this incredible need uh, for the forgiveness of God and reconciliation with God. And, and we've fallen short. And so you can find that in Romans 3.23. And it is... Uh, the fact that no one is good enough. You cannot be a good enough person to please God. The only thing that pleases God is when we receive what he did for us in Christ. So first of all, we are all up the creek without a paddle. Okay? Got that? All right. Second thing, we are all objects of God's wrath up until the point when we receive Christ. 
Now that may sound kind of harsh, but Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 says we were by nature disobedient and we were children of wrath. We were by nature opposed to God and we are children of wrath. That is the outcome that we have. And the only provision to get us out of this fundamental jam is Jesus Christ. In John chapter 14, verse 6, he said, uh, I am the way and the truth and the life, and nobody can come to the Father except through me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, is there any other way to get this done? And the fact was, there was no other way for, except for Jesus to go to the cross. So we, we have the only provision for humanity is Jesus. Now, what is the way that we receive this? Well, we have to repent. In the first chapter of Mark, Jesus says, the kingdom of God is at hand, therefore repent and believe the good news. Repent, by the way, doesn't mean get punished. You know, because it was translated, the Greek word is metanoia. Because it was translated repentare in Latin, it got the connotation of penance. But that's not what it means at all. It means think differently. Look at the world around you. Look at what you see in the broken world and think, okay, what is the problem? And what is the solution? And look around at what is available to you to grasp and then see that this gospel of Jesus actually makes the most sense for explaining a broken world. And continuing into that idea of repenting, it's, it's literally to turn around, to think different, and to begin to think in the way of the kingdom, begin to think in the way that God has done things for us and, 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 and explains the reality of evil. It explains the mess we're in and it explains how we turn to Christ, repent, turn to him and believe simply by faith that we believe that this is, this is the provision for me, this is the provision for my family. And then... Uh, there's another uh, truth that is there's no second chance. There's no second chance after death. God is incapable of sweeping things under the carpet. He is so holy and so righteous that everything that is done must be paid for. Either by the blood of Christ and the pain of Christ or by the blood and the pain of the individual. We can either go with Jesus or we can go it alone. But uh, there is no second chance after death because in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27, it says that all men were appointed to die and then to face judgment. So death and judgment go hand in hand together. And then finally, all those without Jesus will suffer eternally. This is a hard one, but this is... This is biblical truth. Jesus himself in Matthew 25, 46 said, these will go, these who are not with me will go to eternal punishment. And you might say, well, that sounds pretty unfair, an eternal punishment. Well, we, we have sinned against an eternal God. So our sin is recorded in eternity. And the only way to uncover that sin and make it right is to be rescued by one from eternity. So these are the truths that, that gospel, uh, the gospel truths that evangelistic ministry is organized around. And, and we'll see how it motivates. And that's what I want to go to next. How it motivates. And by the way, this, this costs so much. This costs God so much that when people refuse what it cost him so much to provide, uh, he, by his holy nature, uh, can, can, he can be patient until that person dies, but he, he will bring wrath. That is the way 
he, the only way he can operate. He cannot sweep things under the rug. And the thing that most people who want to say, well, I'll think about that later, we don't know when we're going to die. We do not know the date of our death. There, there are some people who might have a feel for it if they're in hospice, but for the most part, we don't know. And so this is, th- there's a matter of urgency to this. So this is how evangelists think and feel. This is the truth that drives them to these motives. They have a zeal for the glory of God. Their, their, their love of God, their amazement at what God has done, and their approach to life is fundamentally altered when they recognize what Jesus did for them. And this gives a zeal and a passion for the glory of God who has done this. He's so good. He's so good. And then uh, there's passion for Jesus to have his reward. That he, for all of the cost and suffering, he is worthy that as many people as possible would hear, hear his good news. And that he would be heralded all over the place. Every day, all the time. Because that is how important what he did is in the context of human history. Third is compassion for the unsaved person. You know, unfortunately, many people come into the kingdom and they begin to think like they had something to do with it. And they were essentially, you know, worthy of this gift. And we were not. But it breeds religious superiority. It breeds uh, a, a church that puts its nose up at those who are far from God. That is so wrong. Because we have to remember we needed Christ. And we need Christ every day. And so when we're looking uh, at, at connecting with someone we know who's far from God, the, the, the dominant emotion that we should feel is compassion. You know, their life, you know, your life and my life was heading to an eternal train wreck. But for the grace of God, that loved one, that friend who's far from God, their life is heading to an eternal train wreck. And we have, we have the antidote for that. We have the good news. And so we should be motivated by compassion for that unsaved person. And we should recognize we were just as bad before we knew Christ. And we are capable of doing almost anything that others are capable of doing if it wasn't just for the grace of God. So compassion. The other motive is that they have a love for the unsaved person that transcends their own comfort. We, we should recognize that uh, by this compassion that we can reach out and we should not be concerned about our own comfort. Our future is secure. Our adoption is secure. Our identity is secure. If, if someone with us, if, if we don't have that love and that willingness to take risk, even the risk of losing the relationship, then uh, we don't have that proper definition of love which, you know, one way of describing that is to do at great cost to yourself what is of great benefit to another, even if they don't appreciate it. So, uh, this is uh, the love that radiates out of the evangelistic ministry. And lastly, the earnest desire to represent Jesus. The privilege to be an ambassador for Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5 you know, we're, we're a new creation and we get to represent Christ as ambassadors and to bring the good news to others. You know, if you have knowledge of, you know, the perfect Bitcoin investment, uh, the perfect mascara, uh, the perfect restaurant, you know, you're going you're gonna to share it with people you love, right? Well, we, folks, we have to use this knowledge that we have 
this grace that we have been given, we have to use that for the benefit of others. This is the heart and motive of evangelistic ministry. And these uh, motives are blurred and messed with by the enemy. And that's where we come to barriers to evangelistic ministry. And that begins with the fear of man or the fear of being rejected. You know, the reality is that as we share the gospel, we will lose friends. There will be some people who are offended uh, and they won't want anything more to do with us. Um, I have lost a number of friends over the fact that I have shared the gospel with them. And it's a, it's a reality. It's part, of, it's part of it. And I still deal with fear of man and I still deal with fear of rejection. But that is part of uh, the, the barrier that the enemy likes to just whisper in our ears. You're a loser. You're going to be called a loser. You're going to be called a religious fanatic. I mean, this is not religious fanaticism. This is logical, absolutely awesome news that I need to share with people I love. That's what it is. It's not religious fanaticism. Uh, religious fanaticism is flying planes into buildings and killing people. Love is sharing the good news of Jesus. The second thing that is a barrier is the insensitivity to God's hatred of sin. This is a, a number one plague in the church right now. We are, we are uh, welcoming sin in a variety of ways. Uh, in the church as we yield to uh, one agenda or another and we try to accommodate the culture around us, we, we are uh, becoming insensitive to God's hatred of sin. You know, the Shellhouse family in our congregation, their family motto is to love God, to hate sin, and to kill giants. Well, let's just talk about hating sin. Because if we love Christ, if we know what he went through on the cross, then we ought to be incredibly sensitive uh, to, the, to the cost of sin, to the implication of sin, to the detrimental effect of sin. And we should not be giving approval to sin in any way, shape, or form. Uh, unbelief is the third point. Unbelief that the wrath and judgment of God is real. We will, in the back of our minds, think, no, one day God will be fine. He'll be a good dad and he'll just, everybody will be okay. He can't do that. He can't do that because he's holy. He's perfect. He's righteous. And so as he has established his way, he cannot, he cannot but bring judgment and wrath on those who have opposed him. And we have to get that really into our heads and hearts. Like this thing is happening. The wrath of God and the judgment of God will be, will be exercised on the earth. And we need to believe that. It's kind of heavy, you know, but I'm just, I want to make sure we're kind of dealing with reality here. And, you know, this, this next point is a barrier is the unbelief on the, uh, sorry, the barrier is this lack of prayer, lack of knowing the Bible, uh, lack of love, lack of effort and practice. You know, it does, like any other gift, it does take practice to share our faith and to, uh, Learn how to do that in different situations with different people and learn how to ask good questions. There's, there's lots about the evangelistic ministry, like any other ministry, that needs practice and effort. And then finally, we, we have the barrier of shrinking the gospel to make it palatable. And what I mean by that is shrinking the gospel to personal eternal fire insurance, which uh, I think just minimizes what Jesus has actually provided us. And also, sometimes we shrink the gospel to come to my church. Now, I very rarely 
Um, I very rarely invite someone who's inquiring to church because I want them to see that the gospel is Jesus. The church is wonderful and is a great collection of people who love each other, but the gospel is not come to my church. The gospel is come to Jesus. And by the way, part of the Part of the wonderful thing he's provided for us is a church family that will love us and bless us and encourage us. But it's not the church. And so we tend to shrink it to make it easier. So those are the truths, the motives, and the barriers to evangelistic ministry. Now let's dive into who, uh, who are some of these examples that would help us get a feel for this. And uh, we've got many biblical evangelists. And we've got here John the Baptist preaching the kingdom. Uh, Jesus preaching the kingdom good news. Peter, John, and Paul, the apostles who went out and preached everywhere. Philip, who is one of the seven initial deacons in the church. In Acts 21, he's preaching the gospel. And uh, Timothy, who is charged by Paul to do the work of the evangelist in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5. And you, you, these, these, these people, all of them, were ordinary people, fishermen, right? Ordinary people who became extraordinary instruments in the hands of God. The same can be said of D.L. Moody and Amy Carmichael and Mary Slessor and Billy Graham. But then you say, oh, Dennis, that's good, but these guys are like Christian superstars. That's, that's not for me. So I want to tell you about two evangelists in the Bible very briefly, that I hope will encourage you. One woman and one man who were amazing uh, examples of this evangelistic ministry. The woman is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4. Jesus is alone at midday. She's coming at midday to get water because she doesn't want to come when all the other people are around because she's a societal pariah. She's been married five times and the man she's living with is now not her husband. And Jesus speaks to her about living water. He speaks to her about her whole life. And he welcomes her to worship in spirit and in truth and says he's the Messiah. And she can't believe that a Jew is speaking to her because Jews and Samaritans have had a 700-year racial enmity, a, a racial battle going on and hatred for each other she can't believe a Jewish man is speaking to her and he gives her the good news and she leaves her water runs back to the village and tells everybody that she has met the Messiah and that he knows everything about her and he still welcomes her to worship and he still welcomes her to follow him as the Messiah. And we read that she tells the whole village and that they beg Jesus to stay two more days and a whole bunch of Samaritans come into the kingdom of God trusting Jesus, knowing Jesus is the Messiah, knowing that their sins are forgiven, knowing that the kingdom has come upon them, knowing that they have eternal life. And in 48 hours, through one ordinary woman, Jesus destroys the racial enmity that was existing for 700 years, done in 48 hours. They're all part of the same family. And then we read later in Acts chapter 8, when Jesus' boys go there, they have zillions of converts. Because this woman did the very simple thing of telling everybody what Jesus did for her. And that is a super ordinary, super practical example for you and me to follow. The second one is the healed demoniac. And we, we meet him in Mark chapter 5. And Jesus takes a boat ride with his guys from the, from the northwest part of the Sea of Galilee to the southeast part of the Sea of Galilee, about a 13-mile trip and they go to a place called the Decapolis. The Decapolis is 10 cities. Deca, 10, polis, city. 10 cities that were pagan Greek cities. So every kind of, every kind of sin, these places would make Vegas blush. 
every kind of uh, idolatry and sexual deviancy and everything you can imagine in these cities. And Jesus says to his boys, hey, let's go over to the far side. And they're thinking, whoa, you know. So they go all the way over and Jesus gets off the boat and he walks up and there's a man who's filled with demons and who's chained in the cemetery and is unclothed and he's out of his mind. So Jesus heals him. It's, a, it's, a, it's an encounter between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. Jesus sets this guy free. He's in his right mind. He's clothed. And everybody around is like, whoa, what just happened here? And in the middle of healing Jesus, the demon, uh, healing the demoniac, Jesus uh, speaks to the demons and he finds out there's a legion of demons in this guy. And can we have permission to go into the pigs? So they go into the pigs and 2,000 pigs run down the hill. There's a picture here. Run down the hill. Uh, yeah. So run down that hill into the lake. And they're, they're in this area of this city which is called Susita. And so uh, the, the demoniac's healed guy says to Jesus, I want to get back in the boat with you. I want to go with you to where you're going. And Jesus says, no. You stay here and tell your people what I have done for you. And then we read uh, in Mark chapter 5, verse 20, that the guy leaves immediately and preaches all over the Decapolis, all over the ten cities, what Jesus did for him. Fast forward in Mark chapter 7, verse 31, we now see that Jesus comes back to the Decapolis after going elsewhere, comes back to the Decapolis. So we don't know if this is like two weeks later, a week later, he comes back to the Decapolis and he uh, is, is uh, there. They ask him to heal people and then he starts teaching and there's a gathering, it says, of 4,000 men, which means 15,000 people probably. So this guy... This demoniac has done his job. Everybody wants to come and see Jesus. He feeds the 4,000. Uh, and then uh, what we see later on in church history is at this location, we have eight churches uh, in the first century. And they've discovered them archaeologically. But then we find out three centuries later, in the fourth century, there is now, there's so many Christians in the Decapolis, there's a bishop of the Decapolis. And the bishop of the Decapolis was the representative who went to all the church councils, like the Council of Nicaea and the Council of Chalcedon always had a bishop of the Decapolis. So you have Jesus coming to heal one man, and then one man goes out and shares what he's done, and then Jesus feeds the 4,000, and now there's eight churches, and now there's thousands and thousands and thousands of believers uh, in that area. So this is, this is the glory of of the gospel. This is the evangelistic ministry uh, and this is uh, the, the call that we have. Now who are some of our evangelists here in our congregation? Well, I don't know them all, but I know that uh, one of them is Mike Combs. He gave a testimony here a few weeks ago. And Mike has led, in my experience, since I've known him, dozens and dozens of people to Christ. He actually gave a message at Cincinnati Hills when my oldest son, Dennis, was in grade six. And that day, there were 400 students and 117 re received Christ that day, including my son, Dennis. But more than that, he has led a number of people to Christ on their deathbeds. So much so that when I speak about Mike, I joke with him and I say, you know, Satan calls you the Grim Reaper. Because <laughs> you've been stealing people from him at the last minute on their deathbeds. So, Mike Combs is one. Uh, another one is Michael and Judy Belanger, who work as a team to work in the neighborhood and bring the love of Christ to their neighborhood. Brian Stark, whose desire to reach the men of Marymount has led to some uh, Marymount Dads Group uh, activities that are just a blessing. Uh, Laura Snow uh, is one. And we have one who's with us this morning, Burr Robinson. And... Um, I know this story. I don't know all the details of this story, but I know that you preached the gospel at gunpoint when somebody was pointing a gun to you. Uh, 
And so that's, that's the evangelists in our congregation. And there, I pray there are more. I pray there are a bunch more. So we, we look at this gift, the way we look at the gifts we've studied so far, you know, all may prophesy, all may share the gospel. Some develop prophetic gifting, some develop evangelistic gifting. Some are prophets and some are evangelists. But we, we recognize that we can all play. So to wrap up, I just want to come to application and, and say, and Paul, can you come up? I'm, we're going to have some ministry time here. But Jesus is calling us to do some very simple things. Pray for our lost friends and ask him that some of these people would become laborers in the kingdom their whole life. Share what Jesus has done for you. And if you haven't really thought clearly about that, write it out. Give a, give a two-minute, just write out a two-minute summary of what Jesus has done for you and what it's meant for, what it's meant in your life. Make, just ask Jesus for the opportunity to make a new disciple and to share the gospel with them. Also, as you go out, heal the sick and cast out demons. These are things that you've been authorized to do by the king. And then seek Jesus for the Spirit's power for this work. Now, Wednesday night, we're going to do all of this. Wednesday night, we're going to meet here at 7, and we're going to uh, get into small groups. We're going to practice sharing the gospel. Uh, we're then going to get one person from each group to come and share the gospel with the group. But we're going to give feedback. We're gonna, it's like anything else. We're just going to practice. We're going to get better at it. So I, I encourage you to come. Of course, we're going to worship and we're going to pray. But this is going to be a time to put into practice some of these things that we've, I've got on the, on the board here of like simple things we can do. And you'll be surprised when you share your faith and God opens the door. You may also be discouraged because someone slams the door in your face. But remember, you have nothing to lose. And you have nothing to prove. There is only one audience that matters. And that's Christ. So we have nothing to lose. We have nothing to prove. But we're going to go out in love. Motivated by love. Motivated by the zeal for the glory of God. And we're going to share our faith. And we're going to practice that Wednesday night. So let, let me pray. And uh, actually, before I do that, what I'd like to do is for anybody who is an evangelist, would you just stand right now? Anybody who feels they have this gifting, uh, just go ahead and stand. Burr, you better stand. That's for sure. Uh, where? Where? Okay, great. I'm going to get you to pray for people. So what we're going to do is, if you want to grow in this gift, if you think God's moving you in this direction, but you're not quite sure, then go ahead and uh, stand up and put your hands out while we worship. And Scott and Burr and myself uh, will come around and pray for you. And Steve will come around and pray for you uh, to receive this gift in greater measure. And for the rest of us, let's just worship and encourage each person um, who's seeking more effectiveness from the Lord in this gifting. All right, so Scott and Burr, just let's move around and pray for people. Encourage them.
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for this time together this morning. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you and worshiping you and celebrating communion at your table. My Lord, as we go from here, I just bless this congregation, this family, to be a contagious family for the good things of the kingdom. Church, if you want to stand up, I'm just going to bless you out of Ephesians chapter 6. The words of Paul, but I'm going to speak them over us. Uh, that we pray for one another, that whenever we speak, words may be given to us, so that we will make fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which we are ambassadors, that we declare it fearlessly as we should. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.